Hi, you're tuned to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Janine, and this is Get the Funk Out. Today I'm speaking with the 2018 UC Irvine School of Law commencement speaker, Kopana Kodigal. It's my pleasure to welcome to this week's show, Kopana Kodigal. Hi there. Thank you. I'm so I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. I just interviewed Dean Song Richardson, and I thought I would love to have you on because I know you're going to be the School of Law commencement speaker, and that's really exciting. And I hear all yeah, kinds of. I'm, I'm so impressed with you because you're doing this in transit. So <laughs> we'll just deal with all those noises. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate your flexibility. No problem. No problem. So. Uh, let's get into it. Tell me about the road leading up to becoming a civil rights attorney. Like, what kinds of things were you doing related or unrelated to what you're doing now? So, I have been interested in organizing and social change and justice in all different permutations for a long time. I think my parents would probably say back into high school and, and maybe even earlier than that. Mm-hmm. And I, I studied environmental sciences. I was kind of an activist around environmental issues and came out of college with kind of a deeper understanding of that intersection between environmental issues and um, social justice and civil rights issues. And um, spent a number of years organizing coming out of college and then was looking for my next step. Mm -hmm. And it it became quite clear to me that I could, that, that class action litigation offered kind of the best of both worlds. It's almost the organizing of law. Right. It gives us a chance to coalesce power, to think about the little guy, so to speak, and to do it in a way that advances social good. And so I found my way into class action litigation, and I've been at Cohen Milstein, my firm now, for coming up on 13 years. Fantastic. Um, yeah. It's a, I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate to be in a place that really aligns with my values and with just terrific colleagues. And so I guess I would say that, that I find myself now in a place that really feels like a natural outgrowth or development from the things that have interested me since I was a teenager. That's amazing. I always admire people that find their path, their, their passion earlier on, and a lot of times it is high school. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, high school is this moment, right, where you're kind of coming into your own as a, as a thinker and um, observing the world in a more mature way, but also aren't constrained by, you know, for at least for me, right, somebody who grew up in a comfortable comfortable family with parents who were very supportive, mm-hmm. wasn't constrained by any kind of practical realities. I had this real opportunity to think about what really excited me. Um, and my parents have just always been so tremendously supportive and figuring out, thinking through with me how I might get there or what it might look like encouraging me to to dream about what that might be um, and to consider sort of what I wanted to compose a life, consider what I wanted my life to look like in that process. Was there something in high school that kind of sparked your interest in law? You know, I'm not sure that I would have said I had an interest in law in high school. Mm -hmm. I definitely had an interest in in government, in the way it worked in um, the power of organizing and social change Mm -hmm. as it related to government. All of those threads were there, but I don't know that I would have said that I was heading for the law in high school. Got it. What I felt pretty clear about in high school was that I wanted to to do something that had a positive impact on my world, on my community, and to do something that was maybe an impact that was bigger than me. 
I love um, it. And that has just been true all along. And where did you grow up? I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm from the Midwest. You okay. know, I'm the product of one of those funny immigrant stories where my parents arrived in the early 1970s from India and um, went where where there were academic medical jobs. And um, Cincinnati, Ohio, it was. And, and it's been a, it was a terrific place to grow up, um, you know, a, a very livable community, not mm-hmm. as diverse as it is now, racially and ethnically. It's a, it's a different city than it, than it was then. But, um, but it was a, a safe and comfortable place to grow up, and I had a supportive community and, you know, a, a really sort of comfortable upbringing. Um, and left there, left there and went to Stanford as a undergrad. Your parents must have been incredibly proud. <laughs> my parents have been. My parents are amazing people. That's and have great. been so supportive of, of everything I've wanted to do. I love it. So let's talk about the inclusion rider. Uh, for those who don't know what that is, could you explain what it is and then how you became the co-author of it? Absolutely. So an inclusion rider, as we conceived of it, was really designed for, for Hollywood and in particular for films. But as we'll talk about it, it's adaptable in, in other different ways. It is a contractual provision, right? It's an addendum to a contract that an actor or a director or a producer could take with them into negotiations with the studio connected with their next project. Mm-hmm. Something to the effect of, I'm really excited about starring in this next movie, but for me it's really important as a condition for my agreeing to do that that we ensure that the hiring practices on screen are robust and build a diverse community on screen and off. And so here is a contractual provision, the inclusion rider, mm-hmm. that provides for those kinds of hiring processes. I'd like this to be part of my contract for the next project I star in. So that's how it would operate. And what does it say? It, it basically builds in a set of best practices, the kind of best practices that um, related to hiring and related to the process for building a pool from which to do hiring decisions um, and implements them in the context of each, of each film or project or TV show in Hollywood. So how I got involved with it. Oh, no, sorry. Oh, no, you no, you no go ahead. That I was, was going to answer. Go ahead. Um, I got involved um, about coming a little bit less than two years ago, so you know, in the late summer or fall of 2016, when um, my colleague Anita Hill introduced me to a really dynamic and visionary academic at the Annenberg School at USC, Stacy Smith. Stacy has been doing you know research on representation on screen and off screen in Hollywood for you know more than a decade. And her research really shows this kind of flatline trend. There's no progress. Why is there no progress? Right. And so in 2014, she, she suggested this idea of maybe using something like the Rooney Rule, which, was, which has been a fixture in, in Hollywood, using something like the Rooney Rule to help to improve on-screen representation in Hollywood. So she suggested that idea, and it germinated for a while. And then Anita connected us mm-hmm. and the third member of our team, Sanchez uh, talked to Giovanni, and mm-hmm. the three of us got to work in the fall of 2016 to try and figure out what that would look like, what legal challenges it would have to anticipate, and how we could um, address some of the problems of the Rooney Rule and implementation in this new form, and so the Inclusion Rider was born. So how did you feel when Oscar-winning actress Frances McDormand, in her acceptance speech 2018 for Best Actress, she blurts this out? So I have a confession. Yes. I was asleep. I had gone to sleep. 
Yeah, it was 11, 11, 15, 11, 30 on the East Coast. Right. I have single kids, but I was anticipating a very busy week. Yes. And so I watched the Oscars up until about 11, 15, and then I went to bed. Hysterical. And then and I turned off my phone, and yeah. I went to sleep. And I woke up the next morning, and... It exploded. So, you know, my social media, my emails, it was just blowing up. It was wow. text messages, it was crazy. Um, so, you know, it has, it was basically three straight weeks of a complete whirlwind as we explained this idea, what mm-hmm. is an inclusion rider, how does it work, fielded all the inquiries of interest, which is, you know, still ongoing. I yes. want to implement the inclusion rider. How can we do it? What would it look like? All of that stuff. Um, and, uh, and now we're in this place of really pushing it forward and advocating for it and troubleshooting and and then waiting for implementation so that we can start to gather some data. Fantastic. I think it's great. And actually, I love screenwriting. So when I'm writing, I'm thinking about diversity, you know, and as, as you know, I um, look at these filmmakers, these women filmmakers, I think about you and your inclusion writer. Well, I think that's right. And and obviously, what you touch on is something um, that that goes past the inclusion writer as we have kind of worked on it so far to think also about who is crafting the stories that get told, who's writing those stories, what stories are getting told. And that is a content issue Mm -hmm. um, that I think is is an additional problem. The inclusion writer will get us part of the way there, but it won't get us all the way there. We also have to tackle these problems of um, women directors not getting hired or rehired. We need to tackle the problems of what stories are getting told. Um, and, And I think that is... That's a, another crucial component of sort of failings in the industry so far. Sure. Now, what is something that people might not know about you? Maybe you have some hobby that you love for your downtime. I mean, something you do to remain sane. Yeah. No, I garden. I am a big gardener um, and have a vegetable garden that my boys and I keep together. And, nice. Um, and a flower, you know, a big flower garden. We have, a, we have a, a nice yard that's kind of tucked into the woods in Rock Creek Park here in D.C. Mm-hmm. And we also spend a lot of time in the woods. Um, I have a sort of, you know, my old environmental interests mean that I spend a lot of time hiking and bird watching. That may be the, the secret. Mm-hmm. I'm an I'm a avid birder. And I garden, and those are the things that keep me sane. Or as I would say, keep you out of your funk. (laughs) That's right. That's exactly right. Because, you know, the name of my show is Get the Funk Out. I'm always asking people, what do you do, you know, because everybody has a different answer. Do do people, what 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 other answers do people give you? I'm so interested. I feel like I'm always looking looking for things to keep me excited and feeling good. Sure. Well, there's meditation. Uh, um, walking was a big one for me. I went through some serious ups and downs. I lost a family member, and so I did a lot of walking. And and recently, I discovered um, Anushka Shankar, uh, Ravi yeah, Shankar's daughter. Amazing! Oh she's my amazing. gosh! And she just puts me in this great mood. I just listen to her music, whether it's working out or going for the walk, and gives me focus and just this positive vibe throughout my whole body. I love that. I love all of that. I mean, I have to echo that. I think music is a really important piece of it. And then the other thing I do, I don't know if you've heard this, is that I cook. Oh, yes. Um, I cook for my kids. I cook for my family. Mm-hmm. I just love sort of being with with food and thinking about nourishing food, healthy food. I cook a lot of Indian food. My family's from India. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and I think that combination, I agree with you, combination of walking and meditation and music. Yes. Um can really help to manage kind of the realities of a very busy and stressful life. 
And I think it's an excellent um, example for kids. I have kids as well. And just whether it is cooking, you know, somebody's had a long day. Because kids, obviously, they get in a funk. And it's not like perhaps they're acting up. Maybe they had something stressful happening to them, and they need to unwind. I totally agree with that. The thing that my husband and I have said about our boys, we have two boys, is we really have focused with them on the basics. Mm -hmm. Sleep, nutrition, and lots of outside time. Yes. And if we do those things and give them unstructured time and space, it really makes a difference in their happiness. And there's no reason that that shouldn't be true for us as adults as well. Right. Okay, so I'm going to touch on this briefly, but I have this huge theory. We're seeing so many teens with depression and anxiety and I really think they're, t- they're spending so much time on their phones where they have access to way too much information, the images and the news break- news, you know, shootings, and it's, it's too much. So when you talk about sending your kids outside, I'm like, yes, definitely. No, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I, you know, I think there's only so much saturation by electronic media than we can handle. And yes. certainly for kids, I just don't know that their brains are ready for all of that. I'm certainly not an expert in that field. I only know it from my own kind of parenting experience, but um, we work very hard to minimize screen time in our house, um, and it's both for our kids and for us. That's great. Um, you know, we spend we spend all our time looking at our computers all day long. We're oh, on the phone. When we come home, we should really try very hard to put our phones down and and be either outside or with each other. And it's not easy; it's, it's a daily challenge. But we try to be mindful about it. Yes. Um, and like I said, I'm not an expert in the field, but I agree with you. Right. So I want to uh, touch on what people can expect from your UC Irvine Law School commencement address without giving too much away. (laughs) No, I'm really, I have to just say initially, when Dean Richardson and Associate Dean Lee reached out to me, Stephen Lee is a a friend of mine from from college. We go way back. When they reached out to invite me to to come speak to the graduating class, I, I just have to say I was so honored and so touched. You know, there's nothing... There's no higher honor in your profession than to be given a chance to speak to those who are joining it, and, yes. and so I just that's and it's an amazing it's an amazing moment for me, and I'm deeply gratified by it. I'm going to speak about a couple of things. I'm planning to talk a little bit um, about the role of lawyers in driving social change, and obviously the inclusion rider um, is sort of a, an entry point into that discussion, but. Given where we are in this moment, in our political moment, in our national history, and our cultural framework, I think it's really important to reflect on what it is that we as lawyers can and should be doing and to think about that tradition of lawyers and social change. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. And I also just want to say, you know, some of that is closer to home. This has obviously received a fair bit of coverage, but um, one of the AFSCME locals is on is on strike um, in representing service workers in the University of California system, and so I'm going to touch a little bit on on their fight in my in my talk. Okay. Um, the other thing I'm going to speak to is a little bit more, a little bit less glamorous, but I think equally important. And, and you touched on it a little bit in, in earlier questions you asked, and mm-hmm. that is how is it in a demanding professional career with the intensity of the world that we live in and the challenges of the legal profession now, what is it that we as lawyers need to do to maintain our sanity and happiness? Right. So a little bit of, a little bit of practical, uh, some practical reflections on those issues. And so those are the two themes I'm hoping to, to touch on and, um, and to leave the graduating class with both a sense of their 
their opportunities and obligations in this particular moment in our world and also how to do that and stay, try to stay healthy and sane. Now, let me just add, knowing where you are now, are there attributes of a successful attorney coming out, you know, of law school that you would suggest uh, students have? So, uh, one of the pieces of advice that I give students and junior lawyers recently out of law school is that there is such an inclination to focus on kind of the flashy opportunities, Mm -hmm. but the thing to do to build your career is to learn the skills. The, the fancy opportunities follow from a lawyer who has really solid core skills, whether it's the ability to draft contract language. In my case, it's can you write a brief? Can you do deep and complex research? Can you grapple with technical and complicated legal issues, sometimes novel legal issues? Sure. Do you know how to take a deposition? Those kinds of skills are the foundation for a legal career. And, I, and I, so I, I try to encourage junior lawyers to really focus on those. Um, rather than worrying about all the other stuff. Focus on becoming a great lawyer. It's a craft. Yes. Yeah, I can imagine. It's something like a lot of careers. You keep working on and working on, and you leave your ego at the door. We try. I really think humility is an important part of this. And I do think it's, it's a combination of both being gutsy and ambitious and dreaming big, while also striving for humility and focusing on the substance. Mm-hmm. Be technical, be precise, you know, have something of real value to, to offer your clients and the world. Yes. So I know we have to wrap up, but is there anything else you'd like to add that I didn't ask you? No, it's been lovely to talk to you, and I'm really looking forward to being out there um, for the commencement. and I'm, I'm just thrilled to be speaking to the graduating class. Fantastic. Thank you so much for calling in. I've really enjoyed this. Absolutely. I look forward to I enjoy talking to you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Kalpana Kodagal calling in, and she's going to be the 2018 commencement speaker for the UC Irvine School of Law. If you missed any part of this conversation, it will be up on my show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. If you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at moms, M-O-M-Z underscore rock. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.